0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. So today's podcast is brought to you by Laird Superfood. I know you're laughing because Laird is my husband. But what I am trying to do with this show is only have products and sponsors that I really use or I know will benefit you in some way and I believe in. So Laird Superfood that you can find at LairdSuperfood.com, one word, is from a habit of Laird's and a passion of how can I make an everyday habit work for me better? And so this came out of a habit that Laird did for 20 years and a good friend of ours out of that started Laird Superfood because people were trying to figure out, well, what do you put in that and how much of this? And so this is how it came. It was completely organic and completely by accident. Let me tell you a little bit about the products. So we have our coffee and tea creamers. We've got hydrate products, activate products, Even matcha, if you're a matcha lover or a chai lover, we have all of these products. They're so delicious. I mean, you don't have to sacrifice, for me personally, Laird will eat and drink certain things because they're good for you that personally I wouldn't. But on this, you don't sacrifice any taste. You have all of the important four MCTs. There are no artificial flavors, no refined sugars. You don't need to refrigerate it. And this is really important to the brand. It's plant-based fuel. So there's no soy, it's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, and yes, paleo. Some of the flavors, we've got the original creamer. You can put that in your coffee and tea. I even put it in the kids' oatmeal. You can cook with a lot of these products and bake with them. We've got cacao flavored, if you're in a chocolate mood. Turmeric, if you're trying to add some ways to get turmeric into your diet for that inflammation. We even have our creamers with mushroom powder already in there, if you like. This is great, boost the you know immune system. We have unsweetened, if you're watching your sugar, vanilla, so you can get creative on flavors. But no matter what, you can have complete confidence of in the ingredients in there. You'll understand every ingredient when you read them on the packaging. We have hydrate products, freeze-dried coconut with aquamin. Aquaman's in all of our products. It's a highly bioavailable mineral. And... Again, if you travel and you're on the road, I encourage you to check out the InstaFuel. There's original and unsweetened. All you need is hot water and you're good to go. This product is an unsung hero as far as I'm concerned. So go to LairdSuperfood.com. And if you want to purchase, when you are at the checkout, put in Gabby20 for that discount. So again, LairdSuperfood.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show all an experiment. Hi everyone, I hope you guys are doing good. On this week's show, we're gonna change it up a little bit. We've been talking a lot about COVID as we should, just trying to gather some helpful information. And so we're gonna to talk to Gabi Dalkin, who is a chef. And we are gonna talk about more cooking, more cooking at home. But we're also just discussing like, how do you turn your passions into your job? And what you start to see about Gabi is she's equal parts entrepreneur as she is chef. I think that that is something that she has a great balance of and she's a person who's willing to take a job even if she doesn't know exactly what she's doing and trust herself that she'll work hard enough to figure out how to make that. I know a lot of us sometimes are reluctant to try new things because we're afraid of failing or we think we're not ready. And maybe the truth is, is we're kind of never ready. We just only get that experience by doing. And she shares some tales about marrying her college sweetheart and then them actually eventually working together and and just how they navigate those gears. You know, it's like you're working together, you're talking about work. be one needs to be the boss and one needs to trust and then when they flip and the other one is now the boss and the other one's listening and then when they need to abandon that all and put their phones away and just connect as as partners and and uh, as people and she also shares with us some personal stuff about suffering some miscarriages and has just a really positive and healthy attitude about going through that and I think her strength and resilience and creativity and ease are a much needed voice right now. And lastly, you know, just kind of the inspiration to, if we are cooking at home, let's not do the same old, same old, let's play, let's try something new, but maybe if we don't have a lot of extra time or money and resources at this time, how can we do that easily? So I hope you enjoy. When I think about you and you've made your profession around food, I think what keeps coming up for me though is really what an entrepreneur you are. And I I really wanna talk about that first because I think so many people have passions or they wanna try something and it's really about understanding an entrepreneur's mindset that then you can apply that to anything. You've applied it to food and to cooking and you have things at William & Sonoma and, and books and things like that. I would like to know if maybe you could sort of back up a little bit and also using the internet early. Mm-hmm. We're using the internet very early. I just love to know like you were, how you were like, oh yeah, that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was not the first adopter of like Instagram or Twitter or anything like that, but I did start a blog at the same time I started basically private chefing for Simone, right. one of our mutual friends. And it was A, the ugliest place I've ever seen in my life. Like the blog was hideous back in the day, but I just knew-
0: right. Wait, when you say ugly, you mean the aesthetic of it?
1: Oh yeah. And my photography was horrific. <laughs> like if you go back 10 years, it looks like a dog took that photo. Like, I, don't know. I was using a flash, like it was so bad, but I knew that I wanted to chronicle my time in culinary school and cooking for this family and like show people in my life that I learned to eat mushrooms or steak or different kinds of cheese. Like I was the pickiest eater growing up and my way of communicating that with everyone was via this blog, which at the time was hosted on like Blogspot, which probably doesn't even exist anymore. And
0: right.
1: I just started. And I also grew up. I mean, I remember back when I was like young, my mom wouldn't let me have a cell phone until I was 16. So like when I got my phone, when I was a 16 year old, I was obsessed with it. So I think my obsession with technology started then. And then I really just needed to be on it all the time. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's been great. Like if if it's good or bad for my personal health, but for my business, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I started the blog very early on. And to be honest, I didn't know I could turn it into something, you know, like what I've done right now. But as years passed, I realized, oh, this really has some legs to it. And if I focus all of my attention on it. Maybe I can make it into something. So as soon as the blog started making a little bit of money, like equal to what I was making cooking for different families, I was like, if I'm going to make this work, I'm going to jump all in right now. I'm young. I've saved up money. Like if it fails, no problem. But if if I'm going to try, I have to try now.
0: You said that you were a picky eater. Yeah.
1: The pickiest.
0: I mean, it's interesting. So do you get this relationship with food because you're trying to remedy it and make it so that you can actually tolerate food or how what happens there that you got into food Well
1: a, yes, I wanted to make up for lost time. Like, I remember having shrimp for the first time in college and I would, called my mom. I was like, why didn't I have shrimp until I was 20? Like, this is amazing. So I was definitely making up for lost time, but I also just loved feeding people. Like, I loved the camaraderie and what happens when you get people around a table and they sit down and they share food. That gives me so much joy. And I feel so fortunate that I've been able to turn my career and like, it revolves around that. But I think watching that community happen every time is why I continued going where I was going.
0: Do you think your taste buds changed or you were just, you needed to get exposed to like different kinds of food? Like what do you well, think that was?
1: Yeah, I think, well, one, when I was in culinary school, my teacher was like, if you don't learn how to make mushrooms and eat them, you're never going to make it in the food world. And I was like, oh, that's a personal challenge taken. Mm. Like I love, I love that kind of, that, that's like the athlete in me. Like I grew up playing tennis And if someone tells me I can't do something, I will go show you how I can do it. Like, that's my favorite. But I also think as I was exposed to different foods, my taste buds definitely changed. And I ate at different restaurants and street food vendors and all that kind of stuff. And it just really expanded my knowledge of food and the people who make it and all that kind of stuff.
0: So when you went to college, did you know what you were going to study?
1: I was (laughs) pre-med.
0: Took a hard left. (laughs) Were your parents bummed? No,
1: actually. I remember because my, my parents- dad's a doctor, right? Yeah, my dad's a doctor, but I remember I was in like, I was just starting OChem or something and I called him and I was like, Dad, I'm not going right. to be able to do this.
0: I heard that organic chemistry has kicked a few people out of Oh, I was, and that and you know, I
1: was I was a straight A student until I got to that class, and I got an F on my first test, and I was like, nope, that's not gonna, <laughs> it's not going on my record.
0: <laughs> a personal challenge. <laughs> that was that was a that was a no. <laughs> a college, you're pre-med, which is, I mean, I guess it feels really grown up to me. You know, yeah. But like, I'm going, you know, pre-law and medicine, and you know, it feels really grown up and career oriented. So there's something that's instilled in you, I would think, that feels like, Oh, I'm going to have a career.
1: Right. Yeah. And when you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, you have a set career, right? What I did, there's no career path. So when I jumped into what's got to be cooking full time, it was terrifying because where do you go?
0: Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. So how do you get from pre-med to culinary?
1: So in college, I was on the tennis team and that's where I met my husband, Thomas. He was on the men's tennis team. I was on the women's and I would cook for everyone on the teams before matches. Like we would carb load, chicken farm, pasta on repeat.
0: And so is it the gathering part? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, a lot of people, I enjoy cooking quite a bit and actually one of my daughters likes cooking, but for you also, were you already touching into that creative element or was it like, Oh, I'm just going to do something for a lot of people I like. I
1: think it was a gathering element because I only cooked one thing for all of college and that was chicken parm and pasta. <laughs> I like think I was a full carb, but the gathering of it is so special to me. And so I would cook for everyone at tennis in college. And then after college, I got a job, I switched to a business degree and got a job in the business field working at like a fashion PR marketing company. And the company folded six months after I started because it was in 2008 and like things took a downward turn. And instead of getting another job or looking for one, I decided I'm going to go to culinary school just for fun. Like I just wanted to learn how to cook for myself and for Thomas and my friends and my family. And that's when I started the blog and cooking for Simone and it just kind of
0: snowballed. Okay. Okay. I find it fascinating that you could go from, because were you still in culinary school when you were already cooking for Simone? Oh,
1: yeah. I was,
0: I had no business cooking for them for the first six months. Right? Like, how do you go in the interview and be like, was Lenny there? Were there four kids there? Yeah, four kids, all
1: with very different dietary restrictions and And preferences. And and
0: by the way, very sophisticated palates, demanding clear-cut opinions. Yeah. Oh, I mean,
1: they love Nobu. Did I know how to cook fish? (laughs) Absolutely not. Like, I was totally faking it for the first, like, three to four weeks until I kind of got some skills under my belt in culinary school. And then I think things really went on the up and up. But they are saints to have put up with me for the first time.
0: But how do you do that? Like you hear that always like, you know, be that until you are it, fake it, till you make it, all those sayings. Did you sort of think a lot of times you'll hear people talk about body of evidence? Like, hey, listen, I haven't done this before, but I have a body of evidence that I have figured out other things. Like you figured out how to play tennis. You know, you have got through high school. I'm sure you figured out a lot of other things before this. What was fueling you that you go? I know I'm not in my best place right now, but I'm going to figure this out.
1: Yeah. I think it comes back to being an athlete really. Like I knew that when I was losing a tennis match and I didn't want to lose, like I wanted to grind it out and win, I had to figure out a way to turn it around and change. And like, Maybe that was a mental switch that I had to turn or I needed to like do a different style of tennis or whatever it is. Or maybe I needed to actually pay attention instead of looking at all the cute boys that were watching my match. You just kind of figure it out. And I think that's innately in my being. And also I feel very fortunate because Simone and family they're German. I'm German. Like we just, I felt like I was very much a part of their family right when I started, it was a good fit. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to learn how to do all these things for myself and for them and for my husband, my husband and friends. So like, it was really just me trying to grind through it and get to the good stuff.
0: So how long is culinary school? Like how long does someone need to sort of go until it's like, well, birdie fly, you know, like, Yes.
1: So I did six months of culinary school and a six month pastry program, but I actually ended up dropping out of like a month before because I got a cavity. And I also got my first opportunity to be on TV. And I was like, this is so cool. I have to pursue it. And I was like, I'm never gonna make croissants ever again. I'm out. So (laughs) I bailed on pastry, but it was a condensed program and way cheaper than like a cordon bleu or something like that, which I didn't want to pay for. I had just Done four years of college, so it was a condensed program. They have something similar. If you're in LA, it's called New School of Cooking over in Culver City, and it's amazing. Like you come out of there knowing exactly what you would in a larger program, and you're very confident in the kitchen.
0: So you get this opportunity to be on TV. What opportunity is that? Well, it, we in 2009 ish now, or where yeah,
1: 2010, okay. and it was a digital show actually, and it was it was called Good Bite and. I was the talent, and I did like a 20 episode series or something. And I don't even know if they're available, but I would not watch them now because I had, again, I had no idea what I was doing. But it was that first chance someone gave me to get on camera, and I found very quickly that I loved it. And I knew, like, the first couple episodes are rough because I didn't know how to talk to the camera. I didn't know how to make people watching feel like my friends. Like, I was totally clueless, but I learned as I went, how to make it more personable. And I think that's helped me grow my current brand, like Insta TV and IG live and all that kind of stuff. It all started back in 2010.
0: I think for a lot of people, you know, they might even have opportunities. Like I think your initiative to do the blog, that's one element, but then when someone gives you an opportunity and most of us can't possibly know, you know, Laird always says there's only one first day. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they're so afraid of failing that they let that get in the way of when someone goes, hey, do you want to do this? Which becomes the classroom, the real life classroom, like 20 episodes of hosting something when you've never, or you had you been on camera before? Never. Right. <laughs> of just saying, I'm just going to go for it and putting the idea of failure somewhere else. I think, I don't know, maybe it seems like you're geared towards thinking of, hey, this is a great opportunity and- an opportunity to learn more. And it seems like almost failure wasn't part of the thing that would inhibit you.
1: Well, and I also think failing is part of growing. Like I remember my parents when I grew up always made us figure everything out on our own for the most part. So like if I got in a fight with my best friend, figure it out, Gabby, like you have to go deal with that. I'm not going to call their mom for you. And I think that made me get over my fear of failing very early because if I needed something done, I had to go do it by myself. Like, yes, they guided me and like gave me advice and all that kind of stuff, but the hard conversations I had to do. And they also told me and taught me that it's okay to fail. Like if failing is what's going to make you even better next time. And I always tell people now when I'm mentoring them or they're asking me for advice, like you just got to try it. If it's a complete bomb, cool. Like take that, learn from it and move on and do it again. And keep going for it because no one's just going to hand you what you want. Like you got to figure it out on your own.
0: Right. Have you discovered that maybe first you're actually into communicating and you're using cooking as a way to do that versus, oh, I'm a chef that's communicating. I don't know. It feels to me that you really enjoy the communication and the exploration and you're using cooking and food as a vehicle for that.
1: Yeah. And I've never thought about it that way, but I think you're spot on. Like my goal is for people to be fearless in the kitchen and in their lives. And I teach them that via cooking. So yes, that's a great way of putting it. I'm going to tell my mom that I've never thought
0: of that before. (laughs) No, it's just, I mean, I've observed you from far and then knowing we were going to speak today, I was like, oh, but this is what it feels like. And I have to say, I'm quite a bit older than you are, and when I was coming up, or like if you're, I was doing whatever MTV Sports or other types of television, because it was sporty, I would go and I wouldn't have makeup on. And I'd have my hair like whatever in a ponytail. And the other thing I find interesting, and and I don't know if this is strange, is but that your generation a little more is like a little more perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything looks pretty good, you know, like the eyelashes and the skin and like, oh my God, how's that face, that shape? And, you know, and I have to say one thing that I, I noticed, I was like, oh, Gabi is not falling. Gabi's kind of letting it be how it is. Yeah. Is that conscious or is that like, you just can't, I don't know. I'm just interested in that because I'm personally really fascinated about trying to sustain an image of being perfect because I just know that it's pretty difficult.
1: Well, I just think that's not realistic. Like that's not what anyone wakes up looking like. And I would rather spend my time doing something good for my body or cooking or being with my friends than spending an hour getting ready every morning. Like I just don't have that. And also I suck at it. Like I can't do my own hair and I'm really bad at doing my own makeup. Like maybe I can put on some tinted moisturizer and mascara if I'm really lucky, but yeah, but otherwise like I have other things I would rather spend my time doing. And I also don't think that that's a healthy thing to show our youth. And I have a lot of young people really watching me and learning how to cook. And I I know moms watch me with their kids and I don't want them to look at me and think, oh my God, she spends so much time on her hair and her nails and her makeup and this and this and this. And we have to do that in order to be happy. Like I want to show them that you can be happy without spending time or money on that.
0: Do people ever comment? All the time. Okay, because like I said, I just went back and really went a little deeper. And I was like, oh, and I think what happens to a lot of people sometimes too is when you start getting more and more successful or known for something, I think it is so natural for people to feel a pressure to live up to something versus just keep doing what they're doing and trusting in that and having that confidence. And so I think that that's another important element for people to remember that no matter what you're doing, it doesn't have to be on camera. If it starts to work, it's almost like leave it and just keep doing what you do and yeah. worry about like, well, what will they think? And is the expectation that it's, there's no cracks and that I'm perfect. And that's know?
1: so much pressure to have on yourself. If I had to look perfect every time I went on camera, I would never go on camera because something would always be off, especially now, like during quarantine time, like everyone who has a full clam squad, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> So yeah, it's, that's just too much. I get a lot of comments about that and people are really thankful that I'm just real about it. And I think we need more of that in today's world.
0: So you and Thomas, you met in college and what year were you married?
1: We got married in 2013.
0: So you indirectly have been together. How many, like a long time? For like
1: forever. We, so we met in 2008, we started dating in 2009 and it's 2020 now. So what, 11 years? No, no. 2008 no it's more than that right 12 years yeah, i don't know years.
0: yeah that's and especially for your age i mean that's like
1: yeah we met when we were children
0: yeah. <laughs> now are you guys i know thomas was doing other things but it feels like you're working like you have your relationship and it, then i see that you it has intertwined and it's probably it's cuz it made sense into you're running the Gabi Inc together.
1: Yeah. So for the longest time, Thomas was in the advertising industry. He worked at like 72 and Sunny and Shia Day, like all these places. places. Yeah. Really incredible agencies. And I always was like, you should just come on What's Gabi Cooking full time. And he was adamant. No, like I'm not doing it. We're not mixing our relationship and business. Like it's tough. And last year he founded a startup with one of our friends and it ended up they weren't who we thought they were, so we failed on the startup. And I was like, "I think now's the time to come on." Like he had been moonlighting and helping me with what's Be cooking, Insta lives and all the tech side of it, and like really producing a lot of the content. And he did. And the first like three to four weeks were quite rocky because he was used to going into an office every day and not being together all the time. And we quickly learned that we needed different. Offices like areas in the house, and it's been incredible ever since. But it was a steep learning curve for that first month.
0: Well, it's like your partner intuitively is going to know what the brand is better than any person you could ever hire. You know, be like someone saying like, "Well, she would never say that." You know, it's like, or she would wear, you know, whatever the little things that make the whole thing seem authentic or are authentic. Yeah. But I'm interested if you have any sort of secrets because I have. Quite a few friends, and and I work together with Laird here and there. It's not quite that way, but that there's times. This is silly, but it's true. If we're producing content, and I have to direct Laird, and I say that with quotes, right? Because <laughs> people say, "Do you tell Laird?" I'm like, "I don't tell Laird anything." Okay, <laughs> but I will direct him because he's on. He'll be on camera, and I know what I I'm, I'm needing to get, and also I'm protective of him. Both, yeah. like I know. When I'm trying to get the information I'm trying to get, and I'm also trying to make them look good. I'm not going to lie. I'm not like, they're not look good. But what I do is I stand behind who's shooting him and I turn around. So all I'm doing is listening, but he doesn't have to see my eyes. Yes. All I do is I hear and listen. And then if I have to make a suggestion, because also I'm his wife I make it super objective, but I don't even turn around unless it's like really something that has to be kind of beaten through, like the message, like we got to really iron it out. I'll be like, hey, can you just try it like this or, you know, friendly or something. But it's such a funny thing because I'm trying to figure out how to work with my partner, but in a way that almost doesn't provoke him. Yeah. (laughs) You know, also when you try to be on camera and when people stand near or behind or around a camera, they don't realize that everything they do, every move they make. You can see it. You can see. So you're like, okay, you want me to address the camera and you're moving around back there and people don't realize what a distraction that is. Do you and and Thomas have any gear shift secrets that enable? So I know you said you have sort of separate working spaces, but even rules like maybe at times he's got to be the boss at work and you can surrender that even though it's the work is built around you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we both have our superpowers and he is much better at certain things than I am. And we know what those things are. So when he's giving me advice about what my website looks like, or he's listening to me talk to the camera when I'm recording something and he's like, wait, you forgot about this because I'm going a mile a minute. And sometimes I forget about things, he'll chime in and say it. There are certain times where I'm like, nope, keep going, gotta go. But like, I know if it's important and he's passionate about it, I listen and the same goes vice versa. So I think it's also just like, I trust him implicitly. Like we said at the beginning of this topic, he knows my brand better than anyone except for me. So I know if he's giving me advice, he's not doing it to make me embarrassed or feel bad about how I did it or something like that. He's doing it to better the brand. So, yeah, I think just knowing and knowing like we both have very different buckets that we're good at. So knowing what his are, when he brings that up, I know what he's talking about is important.
0: It's funny. And I think a lot of people, we will also be in quarantine when this comes out. It's really fascinating to spend a lot of time with your partner. (laughs) And I'm sure they say the same thing, right? Like I know I'm wonderful every moment, but And so I think when you work together, you almost have better practice about trying to find not only those personal space moments, but then gear shifts from co-working together, business partners to lovers mm-hmm. and, you know, this other side. Do you guys find it easy to slip from role to role and tent- and also like literally without work? Because imagine when you go to dinner, do you ever gauge like how much of this conversation is based around our work?
1: Yeah, I know. I think Thomas and I have made conscious efforts not to do that. So like there are times when I'm very proud of myself when we go out for dinner and I leave my phone in the car or at home and I'm not checking my DMs or I'm not responding to any emails or anything like that because it's very easy because we are so fluid when we work together. It's very easy to just do that all the time. So I always think about it. I'm like, okay, it's time to turn off. I can save all this for tomorrow. And like, let's just watch a movie together or have dinner or go for a walk or whatever it is and not talk about work. Sometimes it comes up inevitably because we think about it a lot, but it's also, yeah, it's important for us to talk about like our family, if we want, like how we're going to build a family and things like that, our house, like design and turn our minds off of what's got to be cooking. So we don't ever burn out of it.
0: Yeah. I know you made this public and I, and I don't want to talk about what's comfortable, but you just brought it up about building a family. I know that you've maybe had a few miscarriages and um, Five. how old are you? 33. Oh, okay. So you're in good shape um, yeah. for someone listening. Cause then there's pressure. Okay. One miscarriage. Okay. Two. And then I think it's like, there's pressure around sex and then there's the self-talk. Will I ever be able to all these things? You seem to have a pretty fierce, strong, and I I know you're a very brave face. I mean, you said, you know, you're joking about your family being German, but it's sort of that very pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe, and again, it's only what you're comfortable with, like how how that impacts you as a couple and then sort of for you personally, just how you keep your mind, I don't want to say right. It's not about. Yeah. No, it makes sense you know, not letting it get in there in a way that's unproductive for anyone.
1: Right. So we've been going through miscarriages now for the better part of two and a half years. And so we've had a lot of time to think about this and talk about it. And the reason I made it public a little less than a year ago was because I was getting questions every Insta Live, every day on DM. When You you guys are so cute. When are you going to have kids? And I get it. Like, I get that you're excited for us to be parents. And I made the mistake of doing that to my friends years ago before I knew what this whole process was like. But I made it public because A, I wanted people to stop asking me selfishly. And B, I wanted people to just think about the fact that if you're asking someone that, that isn't as strong or comfortable with miscarriage as perhaps Thomas and I are, that really hurts someone's feelings. Like that can really damage someone's day. And so we just look at it like, we have awesome lives right now. Like Thomas is all, I always say, like I make, it's not a joke, but I'm like, oh God, like, sorry, like this keeps happening, whatever. And he's like, I wouldn't trade our lives with anyone else's life. We've created a really incredible home for ourselves and a beautiful life together. And we'll have a kid one way or another, however that happens. So that's really beautiful. It is. And he's like been so incredibly supportive about it but he's going through it all too. Like, yes, he doesn't have to have every procedure and all that stuff done to his body, but like, he's in the room with me. I made him be in the room with me a couple times. He shouldn't have been. And <laughs> he was. we're not going to do that again, but like, he's been so supportive. And I just feel like we're in it as a team. And we know that no matter what happens, if we don't have a family, we're still going to have incredible lives. And we have so many friends who have kids. He's like an awesome uncle. We have so much fun. So whatever happens happens, but yeah, it's been an interesting ride for the last couple of years.
0: Well, and by the way, you do have a family. You have each yeah, other. And absolutely. I I'm always fascinated. It's like people, like they date. Okay. And then people go, when are you getting married? Okay. They ask that question. Then once you're married for a minute, they go, when are you going to have a kid? Then you have one kid. Then they go, when are you going to have another kid? Right? Right. Instead of, people are just doing it how they do it. My oldest daughter was going through something in her life. And I said, listen, if you can figure out actually how to make yourself happy in this life, and be your best self, whatever that is, and you're not hurting anyone or yourself, bravo. People don't realize, like, for you to have a thriving relationship and be following your dreams, pretty good start, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like Thomas said, if you really want to have kids, you will.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll adopt. We'll do IVF. We have many options. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I feel like I could give a class on fertility now. Like I've learned between buying a house and going through all this fertility stuff. I have so many new vocabulary words (laughs) I never thought I would have before. And also I feel like if this is going to happen to anyone in my life, I'm happy that it happened to me because now I get the chance to educate other people on it and like help friends who are going through something similar that I went through two and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. that it's okay. And like, you're going to come out on the other end and here's how I dealt with it. You're going to deal with it differently, obviously, but I think that's an incredible gift that I've been given to be able to help other people in my life.
0: If you had the two or three things that you got from this that you walked away with, so what would they be? What is it?
1: We are all way stronger than we think. Our bodies can handle a lot of things. And two, I think you have to bring your own sunshine. If something's keeping you down, like no one's going to turn it around for you. So you have to find what makes you happy and do that to pull yourself out of anything that could be upsetting because at the end of the day, that's what you've got. Yeah. Do you guys
0: ever play tennis against
1: each other? No, Thomas won't play with me.
0: (laughs) He's He's a smart guy.
1: (laughs) I'm dying to get back out there and play.
0: He's like, that will be the straw that breaks the camel's back.
1: (laughs) Well, Thomas has become like a, not a professional golfer. He hasn't golfed at all during quarantine, but he's like very into the golf life. And and I'm just like, it takes too long. Like, let's play tennis Uh for 45 minutes.
0: (laughs) Laird always jokes about, he's like, with golf, he's like, I've never done anything that takes so long where I didn't actually do anything. And I was so Yes, happy. And usually not that happy.
1: No, you, you're you never happy unless you have like an incredible round, which is like, never.
0: Well, what sport? Every ball counts even against you. It'd be like in basketball, if every time you shot, you missed, you lost two points. It's yeah. like the craziest.
1: No, it doesn't make sense. I'm sticking with tennis.
0: <laughs> All right, let's move to food. Let's yeah. talk about food. So let's talk about your approach in normal days right now, we're sort of in an interesting moment. I mean, the fact that people are going to get ill and, and die, there's going to be a lot of sadness, but I also think we're all getting sort of like, oh yeah, that's right. Like the North Star, like it's so clear. Even the other day I I needed to go to the store and realizing kind of how excessive we can be. Yeah. I can be, I can be, I'm going to, just an abundance of everything all the time, everywhere. And this idea though, of like, people will say this all the time. They must say this to you. Oh, I don't have time to cook.
1: Yeah. All the time.
0: Right. I don't know how I don't like it. It's expensive and it takes a lot of time. So maybe, right. maybe we could just sort of talk about that. If people were in their day to day going nine to five, trying to run after kids, figure out 30 minutes to squeeze in some kind of exercise, Maybe you can give me your thoughts on how people can approach this because, I mean, you're a pro.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think cooking is all about getting comfortable. So I think if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of time on their hands, you've got kids running around the house, you're maybe working from home right now, which is new to you. You've never done something like that before. I think the key is A, to get your family involved and turn it into an activity so everyone can kind of come together at the end of the day maybe some of your kids can help you like rip lettuce apart to make a salad or chop some tomatoes or whatever it is and like turn it into a little bit of a game and then pick something and get comfortable doing it. So maybe it's grilling now that spring is coming and maybe we can all be outside, like just start grilling something. And then when you get really comfortable with that, add something to it, like add a sauce, put something in your Vitamix or your blender and blend it up and put it on top. Because I think when you reach those moments where you achieve something and you're like, Oh, that was the best grilled chicken I've ever made. Or that basil vinaigrette was so bomb. You're so proud of yourself
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and you want to do it more. And so I also like into the effect of like cooking is expensive or it takes a lot of time. I mean, we've PostMated stuff in our lives. Like I PostMate sugar fish all the time. It takes so much longer to get that delivered than it would be for me to make a Poke Bowl. And it's way more expensive to order in. Yeah. So I think we have created a society where it's really easy to have everything delivered or pick it up on our way home or something like that. But quarantine has taught a lot of people a lot of things. And it's interesting. I've been watching my traffic and my engagement and people are cooking so much now. And they're like, how do I make beans? How do I boil pasta? Like back to the basics. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a silver lining. Like people are learning that they can be very self-sufficient and cook for themselves or their family and become confident in the kitchen.
0: If you had a, like a vegetarian, let's say who doesn't cook, would you have sort of starting tips? It's funny. Cause when you say like, Oh, basil vinaigrette for the person who doesn't cook, they think, Oh my God, I can't, I can't. Because like right. even that sounds like when's the last time people went to the store and bought basil, you know, it's like these things, they're not hard.
1: No. And like a vinaigrette such as that, it's just everything. You have no chopping. You put it all in the blender, put it on for one minute and it's going to like change your life. So I think for vegetarians, those kinds of sauces are game changers because you could put that, you could toss that with pasta or rice or some beans. And it feel like that's like a really incredible meal. And I also think like learning how to build a really good salad, like just having a stocked fridge with some different kinds of lettuce, maybe a cheese or two, some veggies left over that you roasted earlier in the week. That can really change a game for any, anyone, let alone if you're a vegetarian or not.
0: Do you cook even when you don't have to? Or is it your time to explore other food? Because I know you guys travel a lot for your job, yeah. places with all this beautiful food. When you're not on for work are you like hey i want someone else to feed me or are you are you still cooking at home
1: Yeah i'm still cooking at home I mean i remember when i first started cooking it was so therapeutic for me like i just loved it and now it's less therapeutic because it is definitely work yeah. but when i'm not cooking when i'm not on camera or i'm not doing something that is work related and i'm cooking i still have so much fun because it is just like back to the old days of just shopping and experimenting with flavors and techniques and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I don't do that all the time. And it's been nice, like quarantine, I haven't had any dinner meetings or lunch meetings or anything like that. So I'm cooking every meal, like we're ordering in and like supporting some of our favorite local restaurants. But for the most part, we're cooking everything. And it's, it's also a really cool way to travel. Like right now, none of us are traveling. It's a great way to travel through your kitchen. Like I made Thai last night And we'll probably do some sort of coconut curry in the near future because I have coconut milk on hand. So I think it's nice right now if you are getting the itch to travel or you normally travel a lot or whatever it is, do something in your kitchen that makes you feel like you're in a different country or you're in a different culture and just bring it home.
0: You have, forgive me, I think, what, three cookbooks? The third one
1: comes out this month, yeah.
0: Okay, great. And Besides the cookbooks, you know, people go and they find you. Are you sort of giving away also recipes? I know you have the ones on, you know, your social media and things like that. Maybe just so we can direct people because I think a lot of it is. It's a funny thing about information. There's so much of it. Like I see this in self care and you know whatever is called health and fitness. It's so much information that people are either like, oh my god, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know really know what I should do. When looking for people actually to curate that information for them. So in no time in history, have there been more recipes out there?
1: Oh, yeah. It's aggressive.
0: (laughs) It's radical. I mean, for me, it's great because I have cooked a long time. And so when I need an inspiration, I can go online. I can quickly decipher, oh, I can pull that one, that recipe, forget it. I can't pull that right now. How would you just sort of encourage people to go, hey, whether we're in quarantine or not? Because my whole thing is wanting people to really take care of themselves not only through the food they're eating, but the gathering. We forget that slowing down for a moment and just gathering, whether it's with our friends or our partner and little ones, whatever. Maybe if you sort of said, hey, this is like a step A for trying to navigate that sea of overwhelming information.
1: Yeah, I think you have to find a place or a person that you trust because I think a lot of people are also scared to make a recipe and waste money on those ingredients. So if you find someone, ask a friend, ask anyone, like someone in your circle is going to be like, get recipes from here, here, here. And you find that place that you trust and just go there and start to get comfortable with the way they speak and the way they write and use that to stop and have that gathering moment. I think that's where things can really bloom and become beautiful because once you have that built up, like, me growing up, Ina Garden is queen. Like if Ina makes something, I'm going to make it too. And so I feel like when you have that friendship or camaraderie with someone who you've never met before, you trust them. And that's where you go to bring it all back and start like and cook and kick it off.
0: Yeah. Do you have anything that you still, you feel like I haven't gotten that quite good yet? You know, I used to joke that I finally have learned how to cook fish maybe about 10 years ago. But it was, just, and maybe it's because I'm not a big fan of cooked fish. I was like, ugh, uninspired. And then the joke is I had a rice curse for a while. I could cook these elaborate dinners, but somehow I had a rice curse, you know, and we, in Hawaii, you know, it's like the finger. I mean, I tried it all, right? Yeah. I let it go and then somehow it worked out. But do you have anything where you're just like, oh man.
1: Mm, I haven't mastered Persian food and I would really like to. Why? Like, why?
0: What is it about Persian food?
1: Well, I, you know, that rice dish that has the crispy bottom, it's a tadig or t- something. I just can't do it. Like, I think I'm too impatient to let the rice crisp up on the bottom. And I would like, I actually should do that now that we're in quarantine and just okay. like practice because I have an abundance of rice, but, and just start like doling it out to my neighbors. <laughs> but I think for me, the ethnic food is something I want to spend more time focusing on and like curating those, like a pantry that has like every sort of Thai flavor and stuff like that. So I can really be comfortable cooking that kind of stuff. That would be amazing.
0: I think what you're saying is important for people to understand the patience too in in developing your pantry and your spices, because you're not, you don't want to go to the store one time and just buy like every single spice for one thing. You want to slowly build into something. If you go, hey, this is something that's going to become a part of our lives. Then I'm going to dedicate time and money to curating these and bringing these home. I think that that's a really important thing because otherwise it can feel really overwhelming when you do something new. And
1: expensive. Like no one wants to buy all of that at once. So if you just buy coconut milk and curry powder and that's where you start, awesome. And then like maybe you can add lemongrass or something like that later. Like I feel like slow rolling it and getting really comfortable with one thing before you make it to the second step of the ladder is super important in cooking
0: you produce a lot of content. (laughs) First of all, where do you get the ideas?
1: Well, it used to be from traveling (laughs) before we were not getting on planes, but I think for me, I have a very open relationship with my audience also. So I like to pull them and see what they're looking for very frequently because I always want to be of service to them. Like I never want them to be like, what is Gabi doing now? Like this (laughs) is not helpful to me. So Traveling, bringing those things I see at home into my kitchen so other people can travel via their kitchen is incredible. My audience is a huge source of inspiration. And just like generally talking to people. When I used to go to the gym every day, Mm -hmm. seeing what they're like, what are my trainers like to eat? What are they looking for? Like, I think having that open line of communication is so important when you're creating content because you want it to be beneficial for everybody watching.
0: Right. I mean, because it's... People don't realize like it's a lot.
1: It's a lot. I'm also very fortunate that I have a husband who can produce all my video content and my two yeah. best friends that shoot all my photography content. Who, by
0: the way, it looks so good. Thank
1: you. It looks Thank you. so good. So Matt and Adam are my best friends. They're married. Matt's a photographer. Adam's a food stylist, and they're very talented at their jobs.
0: <laughs> days of using the flash are over.
1: Now. Yeah, no, we've moved on. They've kicked that? me out.
0: When your food in real life looks so beautiful, and then you take a picture and you're like, yeah, no, that didn't really get it.
1: So it's so true. But I think the key is A, being by like a natural light source. B, if all else fails, go directly overhead. Mm-hmm. And C, make sure you can see the scene. Like if you're at a beautiful table, like show me what the table looks like. Is there salt and pepper? Are there cocktails there? Like give it a moment so it feels like everyone else can live in it as well.
0: Right. Let's just kind of go through the different sides of your personality. If you could give just sort of the most important lessons in giving, you know, in your entrepreneurship, let's say someone goes, God, I really, really, really wanted to try something. What would you say to them if they are afraid? And, you know, listen, this is an upside down time, but even still, I think most of us just lock into what's safe.
1: Yeah. I think my favorite piece of advice that someone ever gave me and that I give people is Like if you want something, go out there and ask for it. And if someone says no, go find someone else who's going to help you get there. Because Mm -hmm. I always joke, like my mom, I'm fully capable of paying for my flights home for Thanksgiving, like fully capable. But like, I'll ask my mom if she'll do it. Because if I don't ask, she'll never have the opportunity to maybe say yes. And if she says no, okay. But like that in the simplest form, like that's what it comes down to. Like you just got to go out there and try it, like, and see if you can make something happen. Mm -hmm. And you're going to find someone to say yes, eventually, you just might have to change how you're asking or what you're asking, you know, like, it just got to, you got to learn.
0: Yeah. And after being in a relationship for a nice amount of years, and actually kind of growing up together. Yeah. And being also, obviously, you're the same people you were when you met and very different. You're both probably very different. Is there something that you sort of now looking at that, that you think is part of why it has been successful. A lot of people, what they I have to say that that I think that a lot of relationships that work well, people go, well, how come it works well? And you can give them, oh, here's 10 reasons why it works well. But I do think it starts with chemistry. I've always said this, I just think people have natural chemistry. You even have that with your friends where there's a shorthand in a language. So I'll assume that you and Thomas have a natural chemistry. Yeah. But if there's something kind of that you think, oh, these couple things have really been why we can navigate our relationship.
1: Yeah. I think it, for us, it comes down to communication and being able, cause like, I am very much like go, 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 go. But Thomas isn't all the time. So like, I had to learn that we needed to sometimes take a pause and like have those difficult conversations. And I needed to listen. Like I couldn't just be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like I needed to sit down and we needed to talk it through. And also like, this sounds so cheesy, but someone once told us to do that love language test.
0: Yeah.
1: And we did it and we're polar opposites. So Thomas is quality time and physical touch and I'm words of affirmation and acts of service. And so just knowing that about each other and how we receive love and affection and all that was so helpful because I know that what I need is not what I need to give Thomas. Does that make sense? Like what I need is one thing and the way I have to then like, feed it out to Thomas is totally different.
0: Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It makes a lot of sense.
1: Okay. <laughs> I've
0: been in a relationship for 24 years. Yeah. <laughs> makes the most sense.
1: Yeah. It's really fascinating.
0: Sometimes it seems so overwhelming. And really, if you can, if you're inspired to, if you think this relationship has some legs, because listen, there's just some relationships where you go, maybe, you know, call it. But if you think, no, we have some legs here. Like, I just need to get some fine tuning and the fine tuning changes and continues through the, you know, your relationship has to be maintained all along, but it's, it's like you said, like Laird is way more sensitive than I am. Yeah. Know? But it's sort of like this great balance and a reminder, because if, if you were with someone like you or I was with somebody like me, it would probably be executing very well and everything would be on time and it would be scheduled and there'd be a lot of productivity But the soft and the soul and the heart. And in a way, it sounds like Thomas is helping bring more of that and reminding you to bring it, which ultimately is good for you too. Absolutely. And I have that in my situation where I go, well, we could just get it done and hit the marks. And Laird's like, can you please put your phone down? And, you know, like hugs me for long periods of time. And I'm like, I've got stuff to do, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I'm so thankful I have a person who reminds me of some of the things that are the most important Yeah, productive all we want. But actually in this very moment, we realize like, wait a second, what are we really doing here?
1: Yeah. I feel and, like quarantine has taken us all down a couple notches and reminded us what's important. Like, remember when people used to play board? Like I remember growing up, we did puzzles and we okay. played board games and I haven't touched one of those in ages and we're like playing games every night or playing cards we also like pick up the phone and call people now it's been really incredible to see what 3 weeks has done well yeah like yeah. i guess we're on 3 weeks of quarantine when we were filming this but 3 weeks it's totally changed people's vibes already
0: well it's interesting for me i want to be on my phone less and also I think it's so interesting because in a way, because we're into our technology, you figure since 2007, 2008, we've had smartphones, right? Yep. So slowly but surely, we're connecting digitally, but we're actually connecting less in person. And so what is fascinating is part of me feels like nature is also saying to us, oh, okay, you want to isolate? And you want to do that? This is what it looks like. Yeah. And instead of realizing like, oh, wait, spending that time with those people or going for a walk wait what do you mean you shut the beach yeah you shut the path you shut the park people can be next to the park for years they never go into the park all of a sudden it's like hey you can't go to the park no i want to go to the park yeah i I feel like that feels like some of it's in the air a little bit of that and i think it's again it's for the a sad reason But I'm hoping collectively we come out tethered to some of these bigger, more important ideas.
1: Yeah, like so you got to look at the silver lining. Like I know, for like I was telling you earlier, my trainer who's doing these Insta Live workout classes, I miss going to the gym and seeing everyone and giving them a hug so much, and I totally took it for granted. So I think you're right. I think we're all going to come out of this maybe a little bit more level-headed and like maybe we're all going to wash our hands a little bit more. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and that, that'll that be a huge silver lining. Do you have like a big end game dream like in your mind? Like, is there something where you go, oh yeah, I'm working and I see this thing or I feel it in the pit of my stomach. Do you have?
1: I mean, yeah, I would love to have What's be Cooking be as big and as, you know, in people's minds, is like a Martha Stewart brand or like Bethany Frankel or something like that. Martha minus jail time. Like she's still a queen, but like I'm not cut out for jail.
0: She's a G though. though.
1: She is. She's such a boss. But I would love to make Wet Scotty Cooking a household name like that. Whether that's through coming out with different products or continuing to do books or TV or whatever it is, I feel like it's so fun to live in this digital world because the sky's the limit. Like there are no career paths for what we're all doing, and so. Who knows what will come next? Like, I, I started a podcast last night. Who thought that would happen? I didn't. Great. Right. <laughs> Thank you. It's called What's Got Me Cooking in Quarantine. <laughs> that's,
0: that's amazing.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> if you had any last kind of things that you wanted to remind people or encourage them, now's your time.
1: I think I just want everyone to be, I want them to figure out what makes them happy and confident and just like rock it. I think that's, at our core, what we all need. And that's, what's going to help all of us thrive as a society. So I think you just got to go for it.
0: Well, Bobby, you're, you are a very good example of that. And I just want to say congratulations, watching you from the Herrera house to hear <laughs> your living example of somebody who says, I'm going to do it. And you do the work that it takes to do it because it's not easy. I know Thank that. You. Thank you. And the fact that you're building your life in and around it, I think, is a, a really special color into it, you know. You. And, and I think people really appreciate it. If you would just remind everyone where they can find you in all of the places.
1: Yeah. So, cooking.com is my website, and at cooking on Instagram. The new book comes out April 28th. It's called Eat What You Want 125 Recipes for Real Life. And that's, I think it and wherever else I'm around.
0: <laughs> do you eat a lot or do you just eat a little of everything you make?
1: I eat an aggressive, I would think that I probably eat as much as Laird and yes. I, I can put it down. Yeah. But that's why I work out every day because otherwise I'd be 900 pounds.
0: It's so funny because, you know, I know Jada De Laurentiis for 20 something years. Yeah. And never seen anyone with this kind of restraint. You know, when something tastes so good that you want to eat a lot of it. Yes. <laughs> like a bite or two. I'm like, does how it? You do that? It's not in my body. I have none of those genes. <laughs> well, thank you for spending time with me. Um, Thanks, Gabby. You're the yeah. best. And I want to remind everybody, and it'll be on online, but Gabby is with one B, not to be confused with Gabby. That's two Bs.
1: Yes. I remember when I first started cooking for Simone, she's like, well, one of my best friends is a Gabby. And I was like, well, I'm a Gabby. And she's yeah. like, this is a lot to wrap my mind around. Yeah. <laughs> thank Aloha. you.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday.